0: Welcome to the Dive Into Reiki podcast. I'm Natalie, and together we will enjoy a series of conversations that explore the journey of Reiki practitioners and teachers from all lineages. 100% Reiki focus stories, 100% human. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of the Dive Into Reiki podcast. I'm very excited today. We have Mikaela Daystars with us. She founded Heartscapes after 11 years of helping university students increase their capacity for social justice. At the intersection of self reflection, spiritual practice, and social action, she teaches the system of Reiki as a pathway to understanding, healing, and expressing our true self, and adapts trauma informed principles for Reiki practitioners. And I think this is such an interesting and important uh, theme to touch about, about trauma. So I'm really, really grateful Michaela said yes today. And she actually always keeps on training uh, with the National House of Reiki. And she also has a master's degree in social justice leaderships. So Michaela, hi, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Natalie, it's really fun to get to do this with you. <laughs> Thank you. And I love you're on the West Coast, if I'm not wrong. So I love that we actually are six hours of flight apart uh, but with Zoom, we are just next to each other today. Right. So yep. I would love to start the way I start every interview, and is the first time you came in contact with Reiki. How was that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I came to Reiki as you know. I think I think a lot of folks do through a time in my life that was uh, full of personal crises and uh, just a lot of aspects of my life breaking down, falling apart, you know, no longer working well, my marriage was ending, and I was stepping into single parenthood. And there were things going on in my job that were really challenging and and causing me to start to see that I, you know, wasn't really well aligned with parts of what I was doing. And so it's just all of these parts of my life felt um, in transition in change, and in certain ways in crisis. And you know those kinds of moments where everything seems to be falling apart can become these opportunity moments these possibility moments if we kind of look at it with a well i don't know what else to do and so i'm open (laughs) i'm open for suggestions from wherever they come and so with that mindset a lot of different practices and teachers and support systems and groups um, did come my way and really built up a foundation of <clears throat> being able to navigate that time of transformation and transition and challenge in ways that ultimately um you know caused me to feel stronger on the other side of it and reiki was one of those ways i remember being in the office of a church that i volunteered at i just heard somebody like in the back of the office say yeah, i'm preparing to teach my reiki class this week and i I had a friend who talked about doing reiki but i hadn't really dug into it much but it was just one of those moments where like it just hooked my attention and was like find out more about that so i called her over and hey what is that also sign me up you know um just really a all-in kind of moment and so i studied with that teacher for about four years um moving through you know the first three levels, and then you know a number of special topics classes and other supplementary things that she uh, offered. Practitioner circle, and at a certain point, started to feel um, feel a certain dissatisfaction with my practice that caused me to to transition again. But I'll I'll pause at that part of the story um, because that I think is is where. Reiki and I first encountered each other in the in that moment of needing something to uh, change the way that I had been thinking about my life.
0: Um, and thank you for being so open about that vulnerable moment. And there is one thing you said that I really love is there is a moment when things are, they break down because they don't work, that you're so open because there is no way to fix it. And that's when transformation and that openness to receive help which for women sometimes it's hard because we're using we're used to give the help right but there is moment like life pushes like you need to learn to be open and receive support so I think it's a beautiful beautiful encounter and thank you for sharing it yeah
1: yeah yeah and and that moment you know it's really a choice point because we can also constrict around that that feeling of there's nothing to do and we can we can dig in our heels with the ways that we've always tried to solve our problems right and we can close ourselves off from help and yeah I have that feeling of like I'm the helper I'm not the one who gets help and there's a lot of unhealthy structures in you know American culture in particular but Western culture that really encourages that sort of individualistic thinking and like if i'm going to succeed it's going to be on my own strength um it's not going to be from surrender and you know receiving it's going to be from persevering and pushing through and there's you know there's times when that kind of energy of perseverance and pushing through is really valuable and it's what's needed Uh, but if it doesn't have a foundation of support and receiving and you know reciprocation of help then
0: it falls apart pretty quickly is what I've found. You know? Yeah, that is totally true because I'm the kind of person who pushes over no matter what, and I'm learning that that doesn't always work. So I, I appreciate that comment very much. And let's go to the dissatisfaction. I When you said that word, it, like it resonated with me strongly because there was a moment I was very dissatisfied with Reiki. And that again, it seems like very uncomfortable, but that, and I struggled for a year or two, but then when I found the way to probably who feel that satisfaction, I don't know how to say it, it was really beautiful shift. So yeah. I wonder what your dissatisfaction was. I would love to dig a little bit more into that. Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, at first it was just kind of this, this, yeah, this feeling of dissatisfaction
1: that I didn't understand. Like I didn't know what to attribute it to. I had been, you know, pretty quickly had shifted. Well, let me back up and say that I, I, I know now that a large part of what drew me to Reiki is that I saw it as not so much a self practice for my own transformation, but as a way to learn techniques to be of service to other people. And that is a really beautiful impulse. Many of us come to it with that impulse, but I hadn't fully dealt with my own stuff yet. Not that you, fully deal with your own stuff while you're still alive. But I hadn't really you know, dug into a lot of self-reflection and kind of building my own resilience at that point. And so I, I know now that I really felt like if I can help other people, if I can feel um, that I have these skills and abilities that can help other feel, people feel better, then I'll feel better. Um, i did a lot of time in codependence anonymous and now understand that as a kind of a codependent impulse of like if i can make you feel better then i'll feel better right and so it was a very in a certain way a very externalized process you know there was that internal component of meditation of feeling energy and that was really nourishing and beautiful and kind of helped me feel the the strands of of water under the surface that you know would ultimately lead to my self-practice but it was very externalized it was very much about doing for other people and i think it was that aspect that ultimately became dissatisfying and i could feel that deeper groundwater that like deeper nourishing source that i hadn't touched yet it's like my roots hadn't grown that deep yet and I could feel it there, but I couldn't touch it and I didn't know what it was. And so I started taking more and more, you know, what what I would now kind of identify as more and more like new age versions of Western Reiki. Um, I'm like, the next certification would be the one that'll have the magic that will, you know, hit that thing that, that I'm missing. And it didn't, it brought me further and further away, became more and more complex, more and more complicated Um, And I almost gave it up altogether because there was this feeling of like, it's just getting, I'm getting further away. And of all places, it was an animal Reiki class where I finally dipped the tip of a root into that groundwater uh, because the teacher, um, you know, was teaching with some of the perspectives of the Japanese origins of the practice. And we did a practice that was... Similar to the Josh and Kokyoho practice, where you're bringing your attention down into your belly and you're focusing your attention on the energy that's inherent and that's there all the time and that's always connected to the web of life. And, you know, with the purpose of opening up to animals in that particular class. But for me, it was like, there's the groundwater. Ah, it was inside all the time and I'm looking for it out there. And so that was a really powerful mindset shift of like, there's actually something that's inherent inside of me all the time, and that's where the mystery is. It's not out there anywhere. And uh, so that kind of led to a following breadcrumbs to um, to my current teachers and the current way that I practice and, and ultimately
0: uh, started teaching from that perspective. I think you highlighted some very, very important things. And like you went through it, and many of us go through them, but perhaps with less you know, like less awareness, like, you know, we do have this idea that we study Reiki to help others. And I had never put it together. That is like the base of a codependent behavior, but a lot of us are like that. So it's, I think it's important to question when we start our journeys, like, am I doing this for myself and others, or am I just doing this to actually have another role for my codependent behavior? Right exactly i think that is very important i also think a lot of people uh see it more as like if i study reiki i won't anger and i won't worry it's a way of also putting my feelings outside as you said and the yeah. third thing and it's funny because i interviewed um liad Horwitz, a reiki master in israel and he had a little bit of similar to you he said he was knocking on doors and knocking on doors to get the answer but the answer was inside and he got it when a japanese priest threw him out of the temple it's like what are you doing here right and i think you That was a very Japanese, very scholar experience, but your experience is more everyday life. We take further Mm. and further trainings. Mm. And what we need is actually that very, just to bring it home, right? We do need some trainings and it's always great to keep on like sitting with teachers who are more advanced and deepen our practice, but at the end it starts with us. So I Mm -hmm. really appreciate also the way you make it so simple and approachable, but so clear the same way.
1: Well, and simplicity is such an important piece because I know that, you know, I, I mean, I see it in myself, and I see it in in our culture and in other people that we're seeking complexity. We're seeking, you know, if it's if it's more, it's better, right? <laughs> you know, more is better, bigger is better. Um, we seek out, you know, more and more layers, more and more modalities, more and more structures, you know, to help us do this thing. But ultimately, that's just putting more distance between our consciousness, our attention. And the truth, which is that we already have it. And so, you know, the system of Reiki in its original form is very simple. It's very accessible. It's about clearing away all of that stuff that's distracting us. It's about, you know, focusing our attention on the reality of our interconnection with life and, you know, beginning with ourself, right? It's right there in the foundation of the precepts, compassion to myself and then to others flowing from that. Um, You know, grappling with my own ability or inability to be compassionate with myself first and then rippling outward. And I think I think a Western mind is a little skeptical of simplicity. Um, If it's simple, it's not as good. And this practice, you know, above anything else has really shown me that that often the opposite is true, that that in something that is intentional and powerful and in its simplest form can take us to the deepest places because
0: there's so much less distraction yeah that is beautifully put and actually it's a replay into your life right because we also it's not only reiki we complicate it we complicate everything so (laughs) the more you simplify your practice in a way starts you start simplifying your life too you know And, and and i think that is also very important like reiki is not separate from your life right so, and you have a background in social justice, um, which for me, like, again, as a foreigner, I love the title because it reminds me as a kid of watching the Justice League, yeah. um, you know, it's, but that's my mind as a foreigner, it sounds really big. So yeah. Yeah. how has that background informed your practice as well? Because obviously there is a lot of, of healing and <clears throat> support in that background that can inform yeah. your practice in a different way than mine, for example.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm a I'm a big like comic book nerd. Like, yeah, I think about things in terms of like. Oh my god, league. I'm not the only you one. Know, you know, like I've, I often use you know metaphors from uh, you know Avengers movies in my uh, teaching. So definitely um, an appropriate metaphor. Um, but yeah, I you know I, I I worked in that explicitly worked in the realm of social justice for quite a long time, about 15 years in various capacities, and you know was also raised kind of with a. With a with a with a perspective of of looking beyond our our particular personal experience, you know, into the lives of other folks who are different from us, and just kind of had that that ethic um, most of my life, and so, um, but I ran into a similar challenge inside of my work in universities training students around social justice leadership that I did in Reiki, and is that. that dynamic of things being uh, externalized and like teaching people how to do the work, you know, do really important work out in the world, um, but not having space for them to tend to what's happening inside of them and to really examine, you know, why it is that they want to change the world. Oftentimes it's because they've been harmed by the world. And so they're walking around with hurt and with harm that hasn't been addressed. And then they're kind of, Pushing that hurt out into their work um, as they try to change the world for the better, and that's an extremely exhausting <laughs> and taxing way to live. Um, and it it can kind of duplicate these patterns of harm even in the work that we're trying to do. And so, you know, while I always knew that I wanted to continue to support people who are doing important work on these, you know, wide ranges of issues that impact people's lives, I wanted to, I felt like my skill set was more in helping people to do that internal work and clearing away that hurt so they could come to their work from a different perspective, from maybe a more, um, you know, possibility perspective. Um, and, you know, that was that kind of career crisis that was up during that time when I first found Reiki and, and, you know, definitely had that, oh, I can use Reiki to help people to be better so they can do their work better, right? Like that's yeah. where they connected and you know over time you know what's evolved is is really more of that let's let's really walk that internal path and whether you are you know making change in the world through your family through your parenting through your community through your work you know however that is we are all impacting the world and so if we can walk through the world Unattached to our anger and our fear, and rooted in our gratitude, and true to ourselves and compassionate with ourselves and other people, then that's what that will change the world, right? More of us walking through the world as an embodiment of the precepts. And so it's a really satisfying place to be where, you know, we're really working with the internal work, but then we're holding the values of a space that you know says we need to pay attention to things like cultural appropriation i'm a white woman doing a japanese art in america um that was part of the dissatisfaction that i had when i was in that period of you know searching for the you know whatever it was that i needed to find in my reiki practice you know there was this awareness kind of nagging in the back of my mind that um you know i know this is a japanese practice but i haven't been taught anything about what that means you know I don't know why these pieces that have these you know Japanese names like what they mean in their original context or why they are in the system how they fit together what was the actual history because the history that I learned didn't feel right it didn't feel like it was true you know to be honest. and so I you know I spent four years practicing Reiki with this this nagging feeling of like I'm not really an integrity with my values here because I'm not I'm just accepting this Western form without digging into where did this come from and that didn't feel right. Um, So that's one of the ways that that background comes in is it really at at a certain point caused me to press pause and say I need to learn as much as I can about what this practice truly is where it came from why it is what it is and I need to align my practice and especially my teaching with those origins as much as I can. Um, It also means bringing into my work and my teaching and the way that I talk about Reiki, you know, with an understanding of things like cultural appropriation, like spiritual bypassing, like trauma-informed care. And these are words that have kind of become buzzwords. They're kind of, you know, thrown around in a lot of different contexts. And so it's valuable to really come back to, okay, what do these terms actually mean? How do they operate in our daily life? And is it important to pay attention to them in our Reiki practice? Uh, and if so, how can we do that?
0: Right. I think that is really important. And we're going to go item by item because those three words are important. And I think one that is very important is spiritual bypassing. So often we study Reiki. Uh, so we think like life will be always good, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything. And as you said, we externalize those sentiments. How, how do we know as a Reiki practitioner, it was like being spiritual bypassing or we are just actually having a good week? So I, if you can give us a couple, because sometimes we do have a couple of good ways where nothing bad happens. But we should enjoy them, right? Yeah. What, yeah, what yeah. would be like some of the, like, how will I know I'm spiritual bypassing and I'm not going into self-reflection with Reiki? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, and starting with what do we
1: mean by spiritual bypassing? Because again, that's kind of one of those buzzwords that gets tossed around. Like, what does it actually mean? So, you know, if we look at bypassing, right? What does it mean to bypass something? It means to go around it, right? So if you have a, a main road, and maybe it's got a it's it's got a an accident on it, so that road's been closed, and so they're going to bypass traffic around that road to, you know, head off in a different direction. And so, you know, in our lives, that means often um, ignoring things, moving around things, um, trying to get out of having to confront something, and often these are challenging things, right? So these are the. Uh, aspects of our identity that we don't really like. They're, um, you know, feelings that get in the way of our enjoyment. They're um, bad habits or, you know, habitual patterns of behavior that cause harm to ourselves or others, but they're comfortable and they're familiar. And so we stay inside of them. We don't want to look at them. And so, you know, and, and that can be applied to ourselves. It can be applied to other people, right? So, you know, we can say to other people, oh, you know, don't talk to me about those bad things happening in your life, you're just going to attract more badness, only talk about good things. Um, And that's, you know, bypassing a person's need to process something that is up for them. And that might be something that's internal to them, or it might be something that's interpersonal, something that's happening inside of the group. Um, This can get in particularly insidious if you have, you know, mixed groups of people where there's different identities represented, you know, maybe it's a group of, Um, you know, that includes men and women, or that includes, you know, people of different races and, you know, in groups where there's mixed identities, you can have, uh, moments when people say things or do things that are really, you know, unsensitive that are not, um, understanding another person's cultural perspective. And if that person names that harm, like, Hey, that, you know, I don't really feel good about how you said that, or, you know, I need to, I need this to be addressed you know, sometimes the response that can come is, hey, this is just a space for positivity. You know, this is a space for love and light. We're not going to deal with those kinds of unpleasant things, right? Like deal with that outside of this space. So now we're bypassing that person's need to, you know, get repair for something that was done that, that harmed them. And so when we do, when we bypass something unpleasant in ourselves or in other people, By using a spiritual practice as the excuse for the bypassing, then we have spiritual bypassing. And so I think, you know, part of the example that you gave is, you know, do we approach Reiki thinking that if we have this spiritual practice or this healing practice, um, you know, people differ on whether or not they relate to it as a spiritual practice, but let's say this healing practice, um, then, you know, I won't be sick, I will, I'll, I'll feel good, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, it'll always be good. And that's not what this practice promises us. <laughs> you know? It promises us a pathway into examining our state of unwellness, our state of disease of the body, mind, spirit, and heart and connection, You know, our, our disease of relationship. Um, it gives us a pathway to examine that in a really clear and simple and accessible and deep way. And to confront those things that are challenging, it gives us a structure to bring those challenging aspects of ourself you know, into and to be with it rather than turning away from it or ignoring it or stuffing it down right in our gut, in our bellies, giving ourselves you know, gut problems. Um, it gives us this container to bioremediate those things, to transform them from toxins into something that's valuable for us, but it takes engagement. Right? It takes working with those things, being self-reflective, being honest about how we're coming to something, being honest about our behavior. Um, you know, how can we change and be you know, shift into a state where we're mostly well and we're mostly feeling whole if we don't confront the ways that we've been not well and not whole right? with regard to our own self and with regard to our relationships with other people. And so it's a pathway of doing the hard work is what it is. It's not a pathway to bypass that hard work. And so back to your question, how do I know if I'm spiritually bypassing myself or others? You know, there's there's some some questions we can ask ourselves, right? When challenging feelings or situations come up, how do I approach them? Right. Do I turn away from them? Do I ignore them? Do I stuff them? Do I get really angry at myself about that? God, I already dealt with this thing. This is supposed to be done with already instead of like, oh, here's this thing coming into my life again to continue healing it at a deeper level. Right. Um, You know, how do we respond when things are going wrong with ourselves or with other people? Uh, To what degree are we able to listen to other people and to listen to ourselves? Um, if somebody brings something up to us, that is a problem, particularly if it's a problem with our own behavior, something we've done, that's, that's harmful, right? What's our response? Is it defensiveness? Is it trying to shut that down or is it, you know, an ability to, to listen? And, you know, right there in that moment, when somebody brings that, um, criticism, do we drop into our Reiki practice? Because you said earlier, Natalie, you know, this is about Reiki in the midst of our life not Reiki as a practice that's over here that we go escape to when things are hard and then we come back to our life, but we need it right there in the midst of our life. And if we're confronted with something that we've done that is harming somebody or that's a problematic behavior, and if we pause and we you know, drop our attention to our belly for a few breaths and get that sense of, okay, my feet are stable on the ground, I can, I can move forward, I'm not gonna get knocked over from this, right, I'm, I'm stable, right? Because I'm stable and grounded, I can reach towards this challenge <laughs> that's coming my way. Um, oh, there's fear there, okay, I know how to address that with a few breaths. Oh, there's anger there, I know how to address that with a few breaths. Um, those are the indications that we're really in this practice for self-development, for emotional resilience, <clears throat> for spiritual depth rather than to get away from all of the bad things in our life, right, to bypass those things.
0: Which is never going to happen. So, yeah, like either you stick to the practice or like a lot of people drop it. I will stick to it. So last week I had a thing that was very triggering. And I realized I was being my reaction to that trigger was way too intense, right? And I sat down and because I grew up early in Venezuela, also my approach to everything that is societal, race, behavior, like is very different. And I had to step back and reflect. And then I realized why I was being triggered so much. And it was because of my upbringing in a different country.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but then that gave me the compassion to like, let go. Okay. Like don't be so hard on yourself for being like overreacting to that trigger. That seems trivial because you had a lot of PTSD and trauma linked to that that people like you may not understand so next time when they trigger know that it's not the same situation right you're not in the danger you were growing up where people I grew up with a bunch of like coup bombs and everything so it's like you're not there so like so I think it's so beautiful because you also learn to be less hard on yourself and I think without that compassion then it's really hard to do the self-work and I don't think I could do that without Reiki practice in my case you know. And that's such a beautiful moment right there, right? Like that moment where
1: something has triggered us, the response is much bigger than the thing that actually happened, right? Mm -hmm. And right there is that point of awareness that either we have it or we don't, because if we haven't cultivated a practice of self-reflection and self-awareness, our response could feel totally appropriate, right? (laughs) This thing is that big. Right, this thing is that dangerous, that harmful, that insulting. And so, my big response to it is totally justified, and I'm going to double down on that response and I'm going to, you know, push forward with it. Versus, huh, you know, there's this part of me that can come up here and just observe, huh, that seems like a really big response to that thing that just happened. I wonder what that's about, right? Let me put a little space here to examine that. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to cultivate that ability. And that is one of the outcomes of practicing the system of Reiki as an internal practice. I've definitely
0: noticed that ability in me increasing over the years. She's very beautiful. And another word we are talking is trauma. So I'm very respectful of trauma. I used to have a community Reiki class and there was someone that had trauma. And I would place my hands on her and she would go into like reliving her traumatic experience. And thank Mm -hmm. God she was a therapist. So we decided she had to go to support with her therapist group and she will not come to Reiki, right? Because I'm not trauma trained. I don't know how to deal with it. So like, but I'm very respectful. Like, okay, you're relieving everything here and you're suffering probably a community Reiki circle may not be working, right? Like, or again, check with your therapist and work. But so when we place our hands on people's body, often trauma may come up. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of formation in that, which I don't have. So I would love for you to tell us like, how do we know when we're dealing with trauma and what should be our response as Reiki? And I think Reiki practitioners that are not perhaps trained, you know, you have a great background in social justice and trauma. I don't. So what should I do as a practitioner when I encounter that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's really, you know, important and can get fairly complex. But I think that the simple... The simple aspects of it is to, you know, firstly acknowledge that most of us have something that we're walking around with that harmed us at a certain point in our life that we haven't fully processed. We haven't fully digested it, haven't fully moved it out of our body. And our body has these incredible, amazing, you know, responses and capacities to keep us alive and keep us moving forward and keep us living our lives, doing what we need to do, even when we've been harmed really, you know perhaps quite badly and those mechanisms you know cause us to compartmentalize that harm and then <clears throat> it expresses itself you know at inappropriate times when we're outside of that situation you know our brain will recognize the pattern of the harm in other things that are unrelated and will put our body back into that that sensation of I'm in trouble I'm I'm in danger and that's something that <clears throat> You know it has been an evolution in our culture to understand just how common that is it's not necessarily something that only happens when something very big and dramatic has happened it can be you know much more small and subtle and so firstly just kind of destigmatizing that like probably most of us have something that we're going to have a big response about <laughs> right and that—that's not something to be afraid of, right? Because because one response to that knowledge is like, oh, well, I can't interact with anybody then. I was <laughs> you know? like, how do I know, right? What's going to happen? And so, as Reiki practitioners in particular, it's an important question because we're inviting people into a very vulnerable space—a space where they're, you know, asked to, you know, put their body, put their emotions in a very vulnerable position and a very trusting position with us. And even if a person wants to do that, right, they, they want to have a session, they want to have the relaxation or whatever benefit they're, they're hoping to have, you know, their body might still respond in a way that that challenges them. And so, you know, what I mainly want to invite us as Reiki practitioners to think about is what are the protocols and practices that we can just normalize in all of our interactions with, with any client that comes through that can get on the front end of that. That can help to calm a person's nervous system, build that sense of trust, build that sense that they are in control of their experience, that they have a choice, they are respected enough to be asked for consent, um, and particularly for touch, but for other things as well, uh, so that they can feel like they're in control of their experience. putting in protocols that you do with every single person. You don't need to know what their background is. You don't need to know if they're walking in with trauma or not, but just things that we do that supports anybody to feel their own empowerment, right? To know that they have control over their experience. Um, So that's the first piece of it. And then, you know, something that you touched on is really knowing our lane, right? Like knowing that um, Reiki is an incredible practice, it can't do everything. Right? There are um, things that really do require other specialties. And Reiki can be an incredible um, collaborator in a therapeutic plan for addressing trauma, but Reiki is not therapy. Reiki is not trauma work. Um, and so unless we are trained in you know, trauma recovery with you know as modern as we can understanding of what that means, right? We're, we're learning so much more, about the connection between the mind and the body with respect to trauma, and that it is really a physiological—you um, know—there's a physiological remedy that needs to be included, not just talk therapy. But unless we've been trained in all of that, then we're not actually in a position to offer those services to a person, right? And I've learned that the hard way. You know, I mean, I my my first encounter with um, this dynamic was also in a, a Reiki practitioner circle. Um, when I, early on in, in my training with my first teacher and I had a, you know, woman who was another practitioner and I knew her just a little bit, um, add, you know, obviously came into the session upset. I didn't know what was bothering her, but you know, Hey, we're just going to do this session. And at a certain point I kind of put my hands here with a little bit of pressure and she just bolted off the table, like yelling, (laughs) like clearly, like this was a threatening gesture. Right. And I had no, no idea, like no context for, for why that would be right. It was years before I was like, oh, she was already activated about something. And I put pressure on her throat, like right at the base of her throat. Like, why did I do that? Why did I think that was a beneficial thing to do? Right. Because my teacher had taught me a certain thing to do here. Right. And so, Yeah, so it's kind of from that perspective of like, we don't want to shut ourselves down by being afraid of something like that happening, right? We do want to be aware that it can happen. And we want to put things into place on the front end that minimize the possibility of that happening. And then maybe we do want to know a few strategies for supporting somebody if they are in that state, right? How can we kind of help their nervous system come back down um, from that trigger? Um, that's not the same thing as treating trauma though. And, you know, I've had people say like, can you do Reiki with me to heal like childhood sexual trauma? No, (laughs) you need other help. And then I am happy to come alongside that. Right. But if, if doing a Reiki session is your first venture into, into
0: addressing that, then we're both in a precarious place. I, I really appreciate and you saying that. I remember once I got a client and he didn't show up for session and he's calling me and he says, you have to help me because I want to kill myself. Wow! And I was on the phone. I'm like, I'm not a therapist. So I just talk him through, take a few breaths. And then like, do you have support group? Do you have an AA group? Because he wanted to kill himself because he had like fallen off the wagon. And he was just talking and actually taking him through a in Kokioho so he could breathe. But yeah. then to take him system down and then direct him to therapy or anything. And with yeah. that, you're saying, like, I really can help you. I can be here with you. I can hold the space for a while. Let's talk. But we need to know. And and probably when I started Reiki, I would have said, like, yeah, sure. Come here and place my hands on you, right? Because that's almost the training I got. is like Reiki can do everything. And it can support every healing method. But there are some things where I'm a writer in my real life, like in my other life, right? And there is no mm-hmm. way I can deal with those things. Yeah. So I think as you deepen your practice, you also... I think I was afraid of saying Ricky cannot do everything because then it wasn't that powerful practice I wanted it to be, that magical practice. Yeah. So it takes time of practicing to go to a place It's like, it's okay it doesn't do everything. It supports <laughs> everything, right? It empowers uh, yeah. everything. Yeah. I don't need to be that... Again, going back to the superhero, I don't know why today we're like, maybe you're going to, <laughs> to the comic. I don't need to be Superman or Superwoman, right? And touch things yeah. and fix them but I can support every process with respect and love. And I think that is very, it's even more powerful in the long run. Yeah.
1: I love that statement you just made. It can't do everything. It supports everything, right? Right. It becomes that foundation on which we do whatever the thing is that we need to do. And, you know, one of the amazing things is that the, the, the most powerful aspects of the system of Reiki for somebody who's in a panic attack or who's in, you know, a heightened state of fear or whose nervous system is dysregulated. The most powerful practices often are the ones that help them bring their attention back to their experience rather than the hands-on aspect because they need to get back in control of their own self, right, their own system. And so, yeah, having him do some Josh and Kokiho, or, you know, just even feeling that his body on the ground, you know, working with his senses, um, to just kind of get the system regulated uh, to the point that then he can go get appropriate help for what's happening um, is really powerful. And that's one of those things that, not just Reiki practitioners, but like all of us should understand. (laughs) Like as humans, right, We, we know these things now, like we understand them so well Um, to a certain degree that that any of us should have that understanding that like when somebody is in their fear place, and they're not really in their full body, their full capacity, right, they need to come home to themselves. And there's simple ways that we can bring them there. But they have to find their way there, we can't do it to them, right. Um, And, you know, so that it's, it's really empowering to kind of have that knowledge that there, there are there are things I can do if a person gets dysregulated in my space when I'm doing a session. And it's not my job to do trauma work with them unless it is in fact, right? yes. <laughs> unless you in fact have that training. Um, most of us don't, right? Most of us have our own experiences and maybe some some encounter with it. And so when I teach people trauma informed breaky, so I have a class that I offer quarterly, for practitioners um, who want to build these practices and protocols for um, being trauma informed in their practice. It's not about teaching them how to treat trauma at all. Right? It's it's about creating a container where it's less likely that trauma will be triggered and that it's more likely a person will feel empowered and supported uh, if difficult things come up, which we know that they do, right? They will happen. The more you practice, if you practice for a few years, everything can happen. Yeah. And bridging back to the conversation about spiritual bypassing, um, you know, I've had a lot of really interesting and challenging conversations, like since I've started talking about this and posting about it and teaching this class, uh, I've gotten a lot of pushback, a lot of um, kind of rejection of the idea. And one comment that's come around in several different forms is the idea that if a person gets triggered you know, their, their trauma comes up, they get dysregulated in a Reiki session, then because Reiki can cause no harm, and because we're holding in the intention that whatever happens in the session is for this person's greatest good, then that trigger is actually supposed to happen. It's part of their greatest good and their healing, and so we just need to let it happen. And I, I reject that, <laughs> um, I do, because um, we're not perfect enlightened beings, firstly. And so I cannot guarantee that I can operate a Reiki session with absolute perfect spiritual clarity that everything that happens in this space is is always for the best, right? I don't make that claim. Um, There are always uh, things we can overlook, mistakes we can make, like thinking that we have a really sweet little, you know, hand placement at a person's high chest and they feel like I'm trying to strangle them, right? Like that was, that was a technique that I was taught by my teacher and was told it was fine to just use in any instance, and it was not, right? That was a mistake that my teacher made, a mistake that I made. Um, Those things can happen all of the time. And so uh, it is a form of spiritual bypassing to say, if you set your intention that everything is for the highest good, and we know that Reiki energy can cause no harm, then anything that happens in this session is for the highest good. Because we have to distinguish Reiki as a phenomenon, Reiki as an energy, as a life force can cause no harm. But Reiki as a system of practice that people do to other people can always has the potential for something to go wrong, for a mistake to be made, for us to just, not even a mistake, but just to not know all the information about the person. (laughs) Who knows like what is gonna set a person off, right? I've had Reiki practitioners, bring in scented oil and not ask permission. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm smelling like cedar. That's fine for me, I love cedar. But what if somebody had experienced a, a violent encounter with somebody who had cologne that was cedar scented, right? And now all of a sudden they're lying on a table, vulnerable eyes closed, and they're smelling that again, right? Oh. And so these are, these are things that we can pay more attention to and we can just get in the habit of creating our spaces in a way that um, minimize those types of mistakes.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I love what you're saying because I, again, at the beginning, I will put like, I always ask because people are very allergic to sense, uh, beyond the trauma. So I think at the beginning, when I created my space, it was my space so I could be in the space to offer Reiki, right? And as I practice, I started like, again, people will sneeze. So I started changing and for me, When someone comes into the Reiki, like this is your time, your healing process, music, no music, scent, no scent. I don't use any more scent. I don't even put perfume anymore on because a lot of people don't like scents. But light, no light, like you choose. And I also give them the option of like, if anything feels too intense to move through it, let me know. You can stop the session at any time. So that's one thing I'm doing now. And it's never happened. No one has ever... Stop the session. But I think for me, it was important to let them know they're not there for an hour. And if it's really too much, yep. shouldn't go through that. I, you know, it's, it's so that for me was very important. I think it's what you said is very important. Like they need to feel empowered to be in control of their own healing. And
1: that's, that's good for all of us, right? Like, what, like, so you just named another reason to give those kinds of, like, people have various health concerns, right? My mother is incredibly sensitive to scents of all types. She would absolutely not be able to have scented anything for health reasons, right? Not trauma reasons. Um, you know, there's people who have, uh, you know, who are who are stimulated by their senses in ways that are uncomfortable. There's no reason why they shouldn't be given the option right and that's just good for all of us right i mean all of us are going to have a stronger healing experience if we feel like this is about our sets of agency and empowerment rather than somebody doing something to us and you know it's very easy for us to fall into you know what we know which is kind of a a medical model that says or not even medical but you know a, a system of experts and clients where the expert is in charge because they're the expert and they have all of the information. And so I'm going to submit myself to the expert. And many of us have had experiences in medical settings and legal settings in you know, all kinds of settings where even though, yes, we do need the expertise of this person, we end up feeling um, disempowered, humiliated, disrespected because of the way that person conducted the space and because of the assumption that I'm supposed to defer to you as the expert, as opposed to a more collaborative perspective that you are an expert on certain things, (laughs) law, medicine, Reiki, you know, practices for relaxation. Um, I am an expert on myself. I'm an expert on my own experience. I'm an expert on what happened to me earlier today or earlier in my life or how I'm feeling right now or where I have pain. That's what I'm an expert about. And that's two experts coming together for a a shared goal, right? And so it can take a lot of effort to break that habit, right? And so, you know, you just named three really beautiful trauma-informed practices, giving the, you know, eliminating things that you know to be a problem sent, often a problem just doesn't even need to be here. Uh, giving people choices about all of those different ways of stimulation, music, light, all of those things, and then um, informing them repeatedly more than once uh, that they can change position, they can speak, they can share things, they can stop, they can walk out of here at any time. And we do need to Say that multiple times and demonstrate it multiple times because it is so habitual to just defer to the person who's supposed to be the expert in the room. And um, it can be really hard when you're in that moment in the middle of a session and you know you need to make a change. And it's that feeling of, oh, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to be a bother. I'm going to be a pain. I don't want to be seen as difficult. I'm just going to hunker down and get through it. You know, I'm just going to suffer through it <laughs> when well, that's the opposite of
0: what any of us want inside of a Reiki session. I, I love that you said that because I'm like, this is not just a great lesson for practitioners, but when we actually receive sessions, uh, because I am funny, I'm giving sometimes the freedom to my clients, but I realized like I had one, it was like a session of acupuncture and like body movement. And I was really uncomfortable. And the only thing I was thinking, let it, this be over and then I'm never coming back versus expressing. So it's funny. I'm like, okay, I have a little bit of work to do when I actually receive it's you know awesome. that I'm, I'm giving all these uh, freedom but I'm not giving it to myself. So exactly. thank you for sharing that. And I I I'm not going to dig more into that because that's your program and that's what you train for and I'll put the link for everyone interested. So I don't want to divulge all your training yeah. here. I think those tips are just, you know, they're like the base and they're wonderful contributions. Yeah. I do want to say, like, if there is one thing that we Reiki practitioners tend to do, especially the first two, three years, that we should not do, like, one big, like, no, what will that be? Mm-hmm. And perhaps based on your own experience beyond the throat thing. I think you already shared the throat yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, in in the in the general, right, like, what what, what should we not do, or what should we do in the general Reiki practitioners? I would say... Um, to avoid regarding this practice as an external practice right and so back to that first conversation we had that this is a practice of self-development first and foremost um you know our shared teacher franz often says all reiki is self-reiki right like we we practice reiki with ourselves only which is a paradox because then we we work with other people right but the but the benefit to those people comes out of our own practice and there's lots of different ways to think about that that we won't go into. But just kind of putting that out there that all Reiki is self Reiki. This is a practice of self development. And uh, we need to begin there. And we need to hold that as the center of our practice and know that the benefit that we provide to other people is because we're doing the work for and with ourselves on a consistent basis. Um, In terms of, um, you know, the trauma informed perspective, it still also starts there right? Because when we're self-reflective and we regard this as a self-development practice, we're going to notice these challenges as they come up. We're going to be less attached to doing things our way inside of a session. Um, I mean, you know, on the one hand, we create these beautiful spaces that feel good to us, right? Which is one of the benefits of doing this work. We get to create a sacred space that feels beautiful to us. But are we holding on so closely and attached so much to how we've created our space that we don't allow other people's needs to, to dictate some of what happens there. And so I think, I think the answer to to both sides uh, is really be in your self-practice and allow that to um, be a space of, of opening up and releasing our attachment to being needing to be um, in control of other people (laughs) and allow that to be, you know, first and foremost, a space
0: of self-exploration. Nice. It's funny, you're talking and the difference that came into my mind is being centered versus being in control, right? Like how to learn to be center in your true self, center in your hara, and not lose the center versus trying to control all the external circumstances so that we don't lose the center, which, you know, again, probably like when you talk, there is a lot that comes up also from my own work, right? But that for me has been like the last years. It's like, how do I stop trying to control everything? but I remain centered no matter what. And I think that's a beautiful gift of Reiki through the years. But again, this is a practice that when you start, it's okay to go through all these phases because that's the way, it's almost like, you know, the road towards that deep knowing, we need to go through a little bit of bypassing, through a little bit of mistakes, and we should embrace them as like, oh, that's the way I learned, right? It's not like mm-hmm. if I practice every day for an hour, I won't make mistakes. Like we only learn, we only realize what we're doing when we go deeper. So. I also invite people to embrace their journey and, and not to be too hard on themselves, Right. We all went through all of that. Well, and again, right. It's, it's the foundational instruction that we have in this practice.
1: Be compassionate for yourself. Right. Like, right. However, you know, I mean, I've made so many mistakes and it's like, if I couldn't be compassionate for myself, I, I mean, I wouldn't be doing it still. Right. Because yeah. we absolutely need to understand that all of those experiences, while some of them may be regrettable and we may wish that we had done it different and whatever, um, if we can be reflective on them and we can use those as a locus for more empowerment to change right because like what is empowerment if not the ability to change and to transform rather than staying the same all the time and so yeah absolutely every every step is of value and we resist becoming stagnant and stuck when
0: we continue that process of self-reflection yeah, I'm going to end this interview with that wonderful sentence you said, what is empowerment, the power to change. I think that is I'm, I'm not adding anything to that. That's pure perfection. You
1: know, part of spiritual bypassing is avoiding darkness. And in doing that, we forget that darkness is of the womb, not only of the grave. Right. That's a quote from Rebecca Solnit Um you know, that darkness is also of the womb. It's not just of the grave. And that there is inc- that change and transformation and birth happens in darkness, right? A plant comes out of a seed inside the darkness of the soil. Um, and it's, it's a powerful place to be, right? Even when it's scary, even when it's hard. Um, and I think it's an appropriate place for us to land in this conversation as we, you know, are in the first week of fall. And fall is about preparing for the dark season, right? It's about preparing for winter. It's about knowing that we're gonna go into a time of rest and a time when, you know, self-reflection and being in our own dark places is appropriate. And it's what we're being asked of seasonally. And that can be really hard. You know, I'm a person who's struggled with winter depression for a long time. And, you know, it often feels like a scary place to go. And I, you know, feel resistant to it. But through my Reiki practice, I've been able to see that time as like, oh, this is this is the time for clearing. This is the time for bioremediation, for composting, for things, you know, transforming in, in dark places and that that's actually a benefit to me. Um, and so even if it's uncomfortable, it's not bad. And that's one of the gifts of a Reiki practice is it helps us to be with discomfort
0: and discomfort is not bad. It's, it's necessary when we're growing. Yeah thank you for adding that and yes we're going into winter which thank god for reiki i won't add any of that but i i think you also touched something very important this without discomfort there is no growth yeah you know and and that is a reality not only of reiki Reiki practice but any kind of healing practice if we don't go through some discomfort there is no growth and then there is just us staying in a bad place so you know and we just need to eat with support again that need for support because going through discomfort without any practice or any support group can be quite harsh and and that's why we go back into the darkness right we're like I'm not ready to go through that without any support so in invitation also like you don't need to go it alone or without tools so yeah. Mikaela, thank you so so much it was such a great conversation I love to get to know you better um, I always, like, so sad because when people live very far from New York, I know I probably will not meet them in <laughs> person, but it's so great uh, to be able to meet virtually Absolutely. And, and share this amazing conversation. I'll be sending the drawing in the mail, and hopefully it will make it completely there. As Until now, most drawings have made it, like, kind of deep in <laughs> shape. And thank you so much, and I hope we stay in thank touch. Uh, for everyone else, I'm going to put uh, Michaela's information in the notes, the podcast notes. So feel free to reach out uh, for Reiki practice, for the trauma-informed program, anything that resonated with you as a wonderful practitioner that she is. Thank you so much. And uh, the next class is uh, starting in
1: mid-October. So that now is the time if you want to jump in and have these
0: conversations. Uh, I look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Dive into Reiki podcast. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at diveintoreiki.com slash blog. If you found this episode helpful, please hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, or just share it with your friends. It makes all the difference. Thank you. Gracias. Merci.